You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Gino looks, going to lay it up over the top. Got a man out there. It is locking. He has got it. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and 10 at the Seattle 40. Play fake Stafford. Going to stop. Going to look. Gets hit. Goes down. Back in midfield. Getting to him in the backfield is Daryl Taylor. Presented by Delta, the official airline of the Seahawks. Now, here's your host, Jen Mueller. Rested, rejuvenated, ready to go with a brand new edition of the podcast. John Boyle, why are you not smiling back at me? I just, you know, rested, rejuvenated. I don't know. I'm ready to go. Are you? Yeah. I just never feel that rest. Well, well, you you have kids. Exactly. So there's that. I I'll feel rested in like 18 years. 15 more years. Right. Yeah. That's that's true. When they're all out of the house. Um, I think maybe I just realized that I have magical powers. And I have been sitting on that fact since Thursday night. Holding out on us. Well, no, last week we talked about this. Yes. Could we say it enough to jinx it? Oh, almost. We did. Oh, well, we jinxed one of the things. We didn't. We totally jinxed the fact that Dallas had never trailed in that building this season. We did, but we didn't jinx the bigger thing. We didn't jinx the streak. When you find out that you have special powers, you have to work them in slowly, John. Okay, fine. If you don't think that one's You're like a lower-tier Marvel superhero that doesn't make the X-Men or the (laughs) Avengers. Yes, that's exactly right. I have not earned my cape yet or any sort of special powers. Okay, how about this being good news? If you thought three days off felt good to you, which I know with kids never actually feels like a day off, you know who it really felt good to? The players. Leonard Williams in particular. You want to know why? Because he didn't get a bye week. He did not get a bye week, and he will play an extra game this year. So those three days were his reset. And I talked to him this week and was like, yeah, we just kind of chilled and did nothing because I needed a break. How about that? Yeah, that's, you know, not ideal for a player, especially a veteran player who's been in the league a few years that you got to skip your bye because of that trade and play 18 and hopefully 18 games because I mean he gets through the year healthy but yeah that's a that's a tough ask on a on a guy especially those guys it's a physical job he's doing in the trenches and I'm pretty sure that he was on the field for 98 percent of the snaps last week he is commanding double teams I mean he's he's there he's making an impact in the middle of the line and also I would just say that Every week when I see him, it makes me smile to see him smile. He's he got is a great smile. such a great addition in that locker room. He is. He's, he brings a lot of personality. He's, he seems like a really good fit in there. I mean, I remember Jaron Reed saying what, right when they made that trade, it felt like he'd been here all season long, You know, been here a while. So he's fitting in well, and he's playing well, too. Okay, here's some other good news. All right. I'm just on a I'm, roll with good I news. I love it. Here we go. Seattle is coming off a great offensive performance yes. when in terms of yards and in terms of third downs and explosive plays and the way that they moved the ball against a top five defense, top defense and when it comes to scoring, but against the top five defense. I know it was a while ago, but when you think back and you look at that, what did you like most about what the offense showed you? Um, probably just the decisiveness that Geno Smith showed getting the ball out quickly. That's something they talked about leading up to that game of, you know, getting the ball out quick, making good decisions. And the fact that he was able to not get sacked in a game in which there was a ton of pressure. I mean, you look at all the metrics that measure pressure beyond sacks in terms of pressure rate, pass rush, win rate, all those things. 
Cowboys pass rush was effective, but they never got to Geno Smith because he was ripping it quickly and accurately and putting up great numbers. Yeah, and I, I would say anticipating and yeah. throwing guys open. Yeah, I, I thought that that connection said, yeah. was there that had been just a little just a little off in the previous couple weeks. Yeah, Geno had said that in his press conference the week before that like he sometimes was waiting too long and waiting for guys to get open versus throwing them open and. It's always good when a player and or coaching staff can see a problem, identify it, and then actually go out and address it. And it looks like both he and the rest of the offense did that. Well, and they're going to need to do that again this week against San Francisco because you can look at a lot of different numbers. You know that that defense is strong. John, I I know you and I were talking about how much of that game we got to watch between the 49ers and Eagles on Sunday. I took notes. Uh, also with a mimosa in hand, but that's I what you should be doing on a day. Macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets for all also the kids in my house. Delicious yeah. on an off day. Yeah. Way we to enjoy that. We had that a play day. date. We had extra kids there. It was fun. It sounds like a great yeah. time. It sounds like it was better than uh, what Jalen Hurts was going through because San Francisco racked up 46 pressures in that game. Yeah. That defense gets after it. I mean, we saw it. When these teams played a couple weeks ago, they had what six? They sacked Geno Smith six times, I believe. Yep, six yep. sacks. So, yeah, I mean that is a loaded defensive front, and the Seahawks are going to have their hands full. But San Francisco also proved that they don't hit on all cylinders all the time. Yeah, because yeah. coming out of that first Started quarter, that, yeah. they were minus six yards. They go three and out the first couple of drives, and you're thinking, okay, like there, there's. You know, they're, they're back to earth, right? Like, mm-hmm. or something, right? They're, they're having an off day. And then I, they woke up. And then they, <laughs> and then they, they woke up. I, I found it interesting when you watch a game like that just to see how versatile. Like, you know, but on the sidelines, sometimes it's hard for me to tell, right? I can't always tell when McCaffrey's lined up as a receiver in the backfield. But to watch how many different places they put Debo Samuel, mm-hmm. I, I just... It was unbelievable to me. I thought maybe that might be one of the challenges um, of facing this team again is just identifying where these guys are. Um, I, I don't know that that's the case, given the familiarity between these teams. We know them well enough. It's not a challenge. It's just it's just getting them on the ground. You know, I mean, he he does stuff from his different spots. Uh, they they trust and believe in him. Um, you know, to carry the ball as a running back as well as all of the perimeter stuff that they like to do with him, to, to where you they put you in positions of open field tackling opportunities that he's he's really good at. And uh, so it's that's it's not the challenge. It's getting them on the ground is really the challenge. It's not knowing where he is. Yeah, I mean, there's enough familiar familiarity. These teams play each other enough that. They, you know, they have a pretty good idea what the 49ers want to do with Debo. It's just, I mean, everybody knows he's going to get the ball in these different ways, but we see it over and over again. They execute it so well, and he is so damn hard to tackle that it just, you can, you can see the, you know, the motion pre-snap and go, okay, they're doing this, but there's a big difference between identifying it and actually stopping it. Well, and as a pass catcher, there's a lot of yards after catch on that one. But across the board, with the versatility that the Niners have, I was looking up some numbers when it comes to Brock Purdy, the 6.6 yards after a pass completion, that's the average, that's the most in the league by any team. So there's a lot of different options there. Um, I I just, I I wonder, because I think that there's there's two different takes on this. Playing the same team within three weeks. Easier, harder, just about the same as if it was any other time during the year. 
I mean, I think it kind of cancels each other out because you're both in the same boat. So barring injuries vastly changing their roster three weeks apart, I, I don't think it's... I mean, I guess maybe the more complex an offense like the 49ers, the more it maybe benefits you to play them in quick succession. But I, I kind of go with the take of, you know, both these teams have to deal with the same stuff, so it, it kind of is a wash. Yeah, I, I think... I feel like you're setting me up for, uh, you know, having a different opinion. No, 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 no. I, I just, I thought it was interesting, Pete's take and Bobby's take when we talked to them this week. Look, some of it is, you know exactly what to expect. Your install looks different this week. You don't mm-hmm. have to spend as much time studying that team. That does not make them an easier team to face. I, I think that when you see a guy like McCaffrey, who is so unique and leads the NFL in rushing yards and in touchdowns, and by the way, not only leads the Niners in rushing yards, but also receptions. Yeah. It just, I mean, I'm going to talk more about that and, and some of the other oddities in just a second. But to me, when you've got that fresh in your mind, and we know that a lot of the guys actually watched that game on Sunday, you know, mm-hmm. as film study, I think it just helps you to be more aware because you are not going to face another running back like him in the league. Yeah, I mean, that's sure. what I'm thinking. And, and more than anything, I think the biggest difference is having the extra time versus, look, both teams had to plan a short week on Thanksgiving, but... I think it's a bigger challenge than most teams to face that 49ers team on a short week, both because of all the different things they do on offense and just the physicality of their lines. I think that's a particularly daunting team for a young team like the Seahawks to play on four days versus now not only do they get a full week, they get the benefit of the extra couple days. Yeah, and you talk about both lines. Boy, we've spent so much time talking about the offense because their offense is putting up a lot of points. The Niners have won back-to-back games by a combined 73-32. to Their average margin of victory has been 13 points this season. So when they get on a roll, they are tough to stop. You talk about that defense. There's so many familiar names, but when you go to look at the stats— Their effort and their rush does not show up in some of the, um, I don't want to say traditional stats, but I want to say the most um, uh, 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 most obvious stats. So I'm thinking like um, QB hits and sacks and tackles for loss, because if you're looking at sack numbers, Nick Bosa has eight, Chase Young has six and a half. You've got Hargrave who's in there. Those guys are not ranking in the top 10 or the top five, but you have so many of them that can bring pressure and get to the quarterback that that's what causes the problem. It's it's not just accounting for one guy. Yeah, and it's the pressure that causes teams to maybe make bad decisions, and that's where you look at their interception numbers. They're way up high in the league in that. So, yeah, even if they're not always getting the sacks, they are affecting quarterbacks in a big way. Yeah, it is 15 interceptions for the 49ers. They've got the best turnover differential in the league at plus 11. I think that's where you go back to um, the way Seattle moved the ball against Dallas is a really good thing because you did get guys involved in different ways and you were able to avoid some of that pressure. The thing that I don't think any sports or football fan can avoid right now is the conversation around MVP or, if you want to go to the college ranks, how about the Heisman race? And I don't mean people. Like, we can talk individual people. Michael Penix, give him the Heisman. Yes, I was waiting for that. I was hoping you were going to be a little quicker with that one, right? You can talk individual people, but I find it interesting because the conversation around Brock Purdy is where is he in – like MVP category. Uh You could make a case for Christian McCaffrey. It depends on how you want to categorize MVP 
or Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah. I mean, I feel like both of those, especially MVP, has shifted a lot more to just being best quarterback of the best team, as long as that quarterback is, you know, putting up big numbers. So, and I mean, even like you'll hear defensive players like, oh, we never get love for for MVP. And then J.J. Watt comes out and is like, no, the MVP is always a quarterback. So when you even have one of probably one of the defensive players who most recently has had a legit case for MVP would be J.J. Watt. And he's come out and said, no, it's a quarterback because that position has just become so important in the NFL. When you talk about actual value, it's hard to go against a quarterback to me. So I don't really have a problem with it trending that way. Heisman, Heisman to me is a little different because it's always been more about like most outstanding college player. They don't put the word most valuable in that one. But I do feel like the voting has tended to trend that way anyway. I, that award, I'm not a voter and I don't pay as close attention to college, but that award is so hard for me to figure because it's way less of like an apples to apples comparison. Yes. I mean, it's like you're looking at the schedule, the the teams play, the the strength of their conference, the non conference game. I mean, a good point was made about the you know the numbers Penix put up versus the LSU quarterback whose name is escaping me, Daniels. Yes, his numbers are insane. But then someone pointed out the other day, like how many of those numbers were put up against you know, FCS schools, not college footballs. I'm glad I don't have to vote on that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I do agree across the board. It's just not apples to apples. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got different conferences and the way that they did their scheduling. Okay. But let me ask you this. Yes. If you take Christian McCaffrey off this 49ers team, does Brock Purdy still function as efficiently as he does? No. And I, I mean, you're talking about one of the best, most versatile running backs in the NFL. I don't, I'm not saying that as a knock on Purdy. I think no, you not could at put all. I'm just any saying quarter, any quarterback in that offense is a lot better with McCaffrey than Brock. Pur- or, I'm sorry, that with McCaffrey than without him. So, yeah, I mean, I, and then yeah. So then, there's a question: Who's the most valuable player on that offense? I don't. See, I mean, this is, so I don't you know. could have a different yeah. answer for most valuable player on the offense versus. Most valuable player overall. Yeah, but I mean, to me, still, it gets that like relative to his position in the NFL, McCaffrey is a better player than Brock Purdy. I think if you ask GMs, talent evaluators, rank all the running backs in any offense, rank all the quarterbacks in the offense, McCaffrey's going to come out higher. But I also think you can say, are the 49ers going to win more games this year without Brock Purdy for the whole year and Sam Darnold playing quarterback or without Christian McCaffrey? Most people would probably point to the quarterback and say he's more valuable so that's where that you know and that's why you always have this offensive player of the year award versus quarterback offensive player of the year year after year tends to be the running back or the receiver who puts up the really gaudy numbers Tyree Kill this year is probably offensive player of the year is he in the MVP conversation I don't know maybe you could make a good case for him but ultimately it's probably going to be a quarterback well I enjoyed the conversation. I did too. I've been waiting to like debate and hear this. Um, Also, teaser next week, we're going to debate the tush push. So just just for you listeners and for John, please get your numbers ready on the tush push. One more thing with the MVP thing that always cracks me up. I totally get why it's a conversational. Like people want to talk about it every week, but like there's five games left. Like so much can change in terms of standings. I mean, if, if the Eagles, Cowboys, or 49ers lose a few games and or get hot and win all five like that quarterback all of a sudden gets pushed up assuming he plays well like if the Cowboys win out 
knock the Eagles off the top of that division and Dak keeps playing like he is, I think he's probably hands down the guy, whereas if the Eagles get hot and it's hurt, yeah, we'll just see. I, I mean, right now, all three of those guys have a great case, and we're only talking about the NFC quarterbacks right now. But Right, and we still want to give a shout-out to Michael Penix. Yes, give Penix him the Heisman. for Heisman. Yes, um, undefeated team. Undefeated I mean, I, team. I say this, the vote's already in, so we're not going to affect anybody. I know. But undefeated just, team. Undefeated team. They are battle-tested. Beat one of the other Heisman favorites twice. Yep. Yeah, I, I know. And they have done it by facing really tough teams and being battle-tested, which actually brings us back to our conversation about this current Seahawks team. Because these games have not been easy. No. They went toe-to-toe with a fantastic Dallas team. And Pete sees benefit in just what that does for resolve and resiliency. We have to uh, find our way through it and, and get there. I don't know that there's enough games. Maybe there isn't. Maybe we run out of games. I don't know. But uh, we're going to have to make some big noise here in the next couple of weeks. And then we got to just keep on going. We will be hardened. We will be uh, competitively battlefield tested as well as you could be prepared. I think all of that will add to it. If we keep growing with it, if we keep taking the, the, the proper steps forward, that's that's the way I'm seeing it. And we, it's only one shot at a time. But a month from now, a month from now, we will have been through everything that you could go through and get in preparation for a, a playoff opportunity. Now, whether we had enough wins, I don't know. We'll see what happens. There's a lot in that quote to me because it's like this team, they've been so up and down this year. There's been some inconsistencies. I do think, as Pete Carroll said, they have a chance, I think, to finish this season really strong and playing really good football and be battle-tested. But will they have enough wins to get into the playoffs? Because yeah. they put themselves, unfortunately, in a situation at 6-6 six and six where they need to finish really strong and potentially get some help because there's all of a sudden this big cluster of six and six teams in the NFC, some of which will have a tiebreaker over the Seahawks. So, yeah, I I really love the chances for the Seahawks to finish this season on a high note, playing really well, feeling like they're playing their best football, but they need to get it going quickly so that it's – not too little, too late. Well, and you talk about guys growing and learning during the course of the year. Devin Witherspoon continues to be a bright Man, spot. So and good. holy cow, does he just come flying out of nowhere on some of these plays? If I can't catch the number and I just see a flash, I just assume that it's Spoon, yeah. right? Like The decisiveness. It's just, just yeah. It is all over the place. I do appreciate, too, and just watching him walk around, the swagger, oh yeah, the confidence, but he listens to his vets. He does. Like if you watch the conversations on the sidelines when Bobby comes over, when Diggs comes over, right? He doesn't think that he knows it all, even though he is playing at such a high level. He understands that there's still a lot more to go. I think it is really fun to watch him. And uh, he has made some spectacular plays that have caught everyone's eye. There's other things that, I mean, it's just one of the many things. He had a great open field tackle in this game. Uh, it just blew up to, to make the tackle that most guys would not have even attempted in that manner because they thought they might miss it, you know, so they get a little more cautious. He went for it. It's just, he has a knack, you know, and, and that, I think that's what that is, Johnny. You saw him wait to the very last instance, and he ensured that the guy was throwing the football, and we'll see what happens the next time. But he's he's been really effective at it, and it's just another one of the things that he shows you that he has a, a depth of awareness that's that's makes him special. Yeah, I, I had asked Pete Carroll there about the play in the in the Cowboys game. He's had a few of these this season where he's really good at he rushes the passer but knows when to get his hands up, knock the ball down. And that you watched the replay of that one, he almost caught that. Like he yeah. kind of bobbled off his shoulder. Yeah, play, he like, kind of turned around and, and looked. Man, he was he'd so have been, been gone if he could have grabbed that. Yeah. But he's had a bunch of those this year. And as Pete Carroll made this point of like, you do that wrong, you can look really bad. I mean, that, I'm not to single anybody out because he's having a great year, but boy, Moffat had one of those that Clint Hurt pointed out 
that you know he left his feet and the quarterback ran right by him and just took off for for a long game. So it's not an easy thing to do. And he's just it's the coverage, it's the tackle. I mean, just everything about his game is so excited. And one little side note. I love the the way that he and Jackson Smith and Jigba root for each other. Like it's yeah, so fun to see. It's really cool. Those guys coming off the field and one of them makes a play and it's like they're they're ever they're forever going to be tied together as the two first round picks this year and they seem to really be embracing that and like they seem to be forming a really close bond. It's cool to see. It is also really cool to see maybe guys who are on the practice squad or are not getting playing time mm-hmm. that are part that of that rookie that, yeah. class that get into that too. They, there's a lot of chemistry. There's there's a lot of young talent on this yeah. team, man. It's They are fun personalities to watch. Um, I found it really fun to sit on the couch on Sunday because it was pouring down rain for most of Sunday. <laughs> and and let me tell say. you that this sideline reporter has plenty of rain gear, but has no desire to stand in the rain if she does not have to. I say all of this because if you are a fantasy football owner well it could factor in as we hear from our fantasy football expert scott engel thanks jen and john and as we look to fantasy football in week 14 we only have two teams on a bye but be sure to monitor the weather reports as several games could potentially affect your lineup decisions this week For the Seahawks, it could be a sneaky good fantasy week for Tyler Lockett after DK Metcalf exploded at Dallas and Jackson Smith and Jigba continue to ascend. Those two wide receivers are going to command so much defensive attention that it can help Lockett get open often against the 49ers. Also, San Francisco ranks 27th in fantasy points per game allowed to wide receivers. Brandon Cooks has started to settle in well as the number two wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys. He's caught all five of his touchdown passes on the season in his past seven games. And the Philadelphia Eagles have allowed the most fantasy points per game to wide receivers this season. Also a wide receiver this week, consider Romeo Dobbs of the Green Bay Packers. He has a top 12 wide receiver matchup advantage rating on Pro Football Focus for this week. And as we move to running back, consider James Cook of the Buffalo Bills over the past two games. He has 33 rushing attempts with 16 in his most recent game. He also has 11 receiving targets in the last two games. Also with running back, keep faith in Austin Eckler. This should be a bounce back week for him as the Denver Broncos allow the most fantasy points per game to running backs. At quarterback, some of you may be desperate for a play at the position because of bye weeks or injuries. If you have to dig deep, consider Jameis Winston, who is projected to start for the New Orleans Saints. He is still a gunslinger who should at least post adequate fantasy totals against the Carolina Panthers. And at tight end, if you need to stream somebody, consider former Seahawk Gerald Everett, who now plays for the Chargers. He's registered all three of his touchdown receptions for the season into the past six games, and the Denver Broncos have allowed the most fantasy points per game to tight ends this season. For more start and sit recommendations from me, check out Seahawks.com. Go to the news page and click on the Fantasy Insider tab for all my Week 14 content. Also, check out my sleepers at thegameday.com and my weekly lineup rankings at rotoballer.com. 
Back to you, John and Jen. All right. Thank you, Scott. I do not believe that there is rain in the forecast on Sunday, so I am excited about that one. I am also excited to give a shout out to Bobby Wagner. I am so impressed with Bobby as a human being more than being a Hall of Famer. And, John, he did it again. I say he did it again. Um, He's never stopped. Mm Mm-hmm being in the community, being active and involved, and he is up for... The Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. He's the team's nominee. Second time in his career he's been the nominee, also 2019, and very, very well-deserved. He's done so many different things just, you know, to help people in the area, people all over the country, so very cool to see. And whether you recognize what he's doing, whether he tells you what he's doing or not, the impacts of that are seen and felt in the building. He's done everything that a guy could do for, the, I would think, for the criteria of this award. I mean, he's been everything. He's a fantastic person. He's a terrific family guy. Um, he's got everything going forward for him football-wise. He's done everything he can do forever, and he's doing it again. And uh, and it's also recognized. The players know. They know who he is. They know where he's coming from. And he has an impact on them in, in numerous ways. And, and uh, he's doing everything he can. And so I don't know if that's enough for that criteria for the award, but uh, he's a great candidate. One interesting part of this in talking to Bobby Wagner, he's been a guy that it's sometimes it's hard for him to be public about. He's just, he's kind of a private guy. He, you know, uh, he wants the work to seem genuine. So he's been involved in the community for his whole career, but for a lot of his career, he didn't really want it known. I remember, I think it was like five, six years ago, he was doing an event at a Safeway and he just decided to, for it was like half an hour, two days before Thanksgiving, so a really busy day at the store. He just picked up the tab for half an hour of groceries. Didn't tell anybody. It, word leaked out because people are going to talk about that. So you had news stations showing up towards the end of that, and he was kind of uncomfortable with it. And it, what's come around for him is he's realized and said, you know, some teammates have helped him with this, people in his life. Uh, you know, you mentioned Sherm, Doug Baldwin, guys it, it have helped him realize, like, when you have this platform, there's value in making it public because people jump on board. You get, yep. you know, people yep. people want to donate, people want to give their time, teammates get involved. There's, you know, the Tyler Lockett helping pay off student lunch debt mm-hmm. for the Renton School District. That's something he got from Bobby. So it's, you know, it maybe wasn't the easiest natural thing for him to do, but he's come to embrace it and it's been great to see. Yeah, it has been awesome to watch. And uh, we are at the point now, John, where we need to identify two things Seattle needs to do to get a win on Sunday. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, there's this offense is so much of it's tied together. You could you know, point the run game, third down. But to me, it's it's that getting the ball out quickly again. Mm-hmm. Six sacks last game against 49ers. You just can't have that. And some of that was playing from behind. And, hey, let's avoid that as well. But, yeah, just get, get rid of the ball you know, convert some third downs early so the offense gets going and you don't fall in a big hole like you did last time. Um, secondly, just, I don't, it's so easy to say like, oh, just tackle McCaffrey better, but you can't let him do what he did to you last time. Like well over a hundred yards, big plays, breaking tackles, just keep him. You're not going to shut him down to nothing, but you know, let's keep him under like maybe 80 or so yards, make him work for those yards. Yeah, I would piggyback on that, and I would say just bring your legs with you. Yeah. And look, you were playing on a short week, and yeah. that is a tough team, as we've already discussed. Bring your legs with you. Limit yards after contact Yeah, is what I yeah. would say. Him just, and, just him bring and them Debo. Down. It's, it's both yeah, those guys. That's, that is exactly right. I would also say, uh, to your point, Seattle converted 64% of its third-down yeah. opportunities they were nine for 11 against Dallas. Yeah. That was a huge positive 
do that again. Yeah. However you want to do that, continue to work those personnel groups in, but stay on the field because we've seen what happens when San Francisco gets a chance to stay on the field and, and what that does to a defense and to, to matchups that are challenging across the board. Mm-hmm. Also, 12s, if you're going to San Francisco, make sure you get your pumpkin loaf. Absolutely. We need to keep George Kittle in check. Loaf. It works it's the last buns. time. It's not, it's it's, not we're pumpkin not, buns. We're not talking loaf. about buns. Do they still do the pumpkin loaf get this your, late in the year? I, yes. That's not seasonal? Get, nope. It's still there. I saw it when I went to get coffee yesterday. Fans, get your pumpkin loaf because that's what Kittle likes to have before a game. And, and, hey, can we plug one more friendly reminder for fans that the next game was flexed to Monday night? Oh, in case, yes. In case anyone missed that. Yes. Eagles game, week 15, not Sunday. It's Monday. We also need to pause one quick second. You thought we were going to forget one quick second for a word from our presenting sponsor. Statistically, the world is losing color. Just consider all white kitchens, beige baby nurseries, a sea of gray cars. But in the hundreds of destinations Delta flies to, you can rediscover color in the bright blue waters of Hawaii, the emerald green hills of Scotland, the berry pink cherry blossoms of Tokyo, and so much more. Sometimes opening your world is all it takes to open your mind, which is why when you fly Delta, your potential takes off when you do. Delta, official airline of the Seattle Seahawks. We hope that we will see you in Santa Clara if you decide to make the flight down, be part of the 12s that are cheering on the Hawks from Levi Stadium. That's where we're going to be on Sunday. We'll be back with you next week on a brand new edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast.